Colossians, the first chapter, it just says some amazing words. It says, um, God, because you live in me and you are the hope of glory, because there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved, because you are the glorious and amazing Christ, we proclaim you. We teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And I love this. In lieu of the video we watched, um, sometimes trying to communicate verbally what is uh, communicated in Scripture is right next to impossible. And I love uh, the vision that you saw of a father pushing his son and understanding that we are that son, we are that daughter sitting in that chair in this frailty of life having very little to offer, and yet having the King of glory carrying us. I understand this verse because I see that image and say, God, this is me. This is what I want to be about. To this end, God, I will labor. I will struggle with all the energy of Jesus Christ that so powerfully works in me. In other words, I don't come to this saying, I am going to go after this and I'm going to go do something great and I'm going to be powerful. I go with this saying, God, I am broken. I am frail. I am essentially not worth much. And yet you push me. Yet you fill me. Yet I labor. Yet your labor is through me. And yet endlessly, God, you press your life through me. And therefore, I just come back to you and say, there is no other name. There is no other glory. There is only one. It is Jesus. And it is Christ who lives in us. And that's the hope of glory. And then we read a verse like Colossians, the second chapter, verses 6 and 7, and just say, so then, just as we have received Christ as Lord, we continue, we continuously, that verb tense with me, we over and over and over and over, we come back to Him, and we live in Him. And we're a people in this church who were built up in Him. We are established in Him. We are rooted in Him. We are strengthened in the faith. As we were taught. And because of that strength, we overflow with joy. And this room is just filled with joy because we're gathering here as a bunch of people who are foolish for the sake of Christ. Who are just simply saying, God, we believe great things from you. We want to honor and glorify you. There was a, a statement that was shared in your Bible studies this morning that I thought was phenomenal. We started the gospel project today. Praise the Lord for three years venturing through the narrative of Scripture, all of it pointing toward Christ. And there's a, a statement that was made that's actually a catechism of the faith. And it's a powerful statement, and I'm just absolutely blanking on it. No, I'm not. It's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's our chief purpose in life. And one of my personal favorite authors kind of took a, a play on that. Um, and I'm totally blanking. I'm terrible at book titles. If you ever ask me, what book I'm reading, I'll go, I don't know, I'm terrible at that, but I do remember the subtitle was Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. Desiring God, thank you so much, Rick Wheeler, who is not bad at book titles, but Desiring God, and his basic premise was this, is that as Christ followers, we should be the greatest hedonist, and I don't have time to unpack that today, and some of you are going, what is our pastor saying? He is saying that the only place of satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. That the only source of satisfaction on this earth is Jesus Christ. And therefore, hedonists, from a secular perspective, seek satisfaction everywhere but Him. Yet we're Christian hedonists. Our lives are filled with the greatest of satisfaction. And as we walk this planet, 
We find great glory in God because we find deep satisfaction in Him. Piper said it this way in his book. He said, those who are most satisfied in Christ will be the most glorifying of His name. He said it a little better than that, and I have that better in my notes. But I love that. He wrote a book entitled, I'm rereading it right now. Um, I went back just kind of looking at some of the thoughts for this sermon and just kind of thinking through this idea that God gains the most glory from us when we find the most joy in Him. That's the the second part of verse 7, that God finds the greatest satisfaction, or maybe we find the greatest satisfaction in Him and the privilege of, of making manifest His name when we truly look at Him and say, it wasn't just a song we were singing. It wasn't a song that we were... God, there is no other name. There is nothing more than we want except You, Lord. So when we're finding satisfaction in You, we'll find that out of that, we are, we are glorifying and honoring You. And we're, we're lending greatness to Your name. And we're finding, we're finding, if you could just ponder this with me today, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or as Piper kind of switched that, he said the word and isn't fitting. It is the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Now we don't glorify God and we enjoy Him. We only glorify God because we enjoy Him. Because we find our greatest satisfaction in Him. And out of that, as you just studied for the last hour, we reflect Him. As a people sitting in this room who are built up in Him, we're only built up in Him because first, we were established in Him. And we're established and built up in Him so that we find joy in Him. And so ultimately, so the world walks in and says, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, there is a room filled with joy. Oh my goodness, there is abounding hope in that room. Oh my goodness, there is divergent thinking going on. If you were here last week, we, we walked to talk through a little study that said um, at, at the age of two or three years old, 98% of people on this planet at that age are genius at intellectual creativity, divergent thinking, creative genius, or if you want to be spiritual about it, faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And I love this. Hebrews 12 says, it is conviction about things we don't see. That's, that's really what we're talking about. It's not divert because you can get lost in that. That's another nice study, Pastor. Well, if you'll recall, at over the age of 25, what was it? Less than 2% of us. So somewhere this is, this is kind of challenged out of us. And somewhere sitting in these pews, we need a group of people who have faith who are convicted about what we don't see, who are established in what we don't fully see yet, who are being built up in the reality of the King of glory, who are finding deep hope and enjoyment in Him, and who are simply saying, God, 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 look, in Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4, He's all over this whole idea. They wanted to sit around, and this this is such a Baptist church today. They wanted to sit around and deliberate who was most important. What, what could be most comfortable? How, how they could be most important? Who could sit as most important? Who could be the decision maker? What committee you could sit on? Who could table what? And who had authority to do that? Perfect church members today. And Jesus said, well, well here's, here's a thought. Unless you come to me as a child, you will not advance the kingdom of God. I, I, I want to read his words and rather than just kind of correlate him. Matthew 18, 34 is just such a phenomenal thought for us to just stop and say, God, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. 
when we're most satisfied in you, Lord, we will most honor you and glorify you with who we are. And here's what Jesus is looking. He's saying, look, I, I need some people who, I'll, t- I'll tell you the truth, some people move like this. Unless you change, a great derivative of that, unless you transform and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on, which I won't unpack today, and says, but, but those who stand in the way of children, those of us who stop having faith that move mountains, those who co- compel people to stumble and fall, it's better that we tie a millstone on our neck and drop into the sea. This, apparently, this is a big deal to the heart of Christ. So, I'm just kind of, I'm looking for some amens. It's kind of a holiday weekend. And I'm not really looking for verbal amens. I'm, I'm just looking for more of like there's some agreement in the room. This is a big deal to Jesus. That this is an idea for Jesus that is just like, look, I want you to be have faith. I want you to be convicted. I want the, some people in this room who have faith that I move mountains. Who have unshakable, indelible, and printed passion for my name written on their soul. Who walk about and believe that I'm going to do great things for the sake of the name of Christ. Who have creative thought who have deep passion, who have hearts that are just moving. I'm looking for some people who are tasting and seeing that I am good. I'm looking for a group of people who are who are believing that God is moving. And as, as the Colossians, the second chapter, the sixth verse says, who are being saved and rescued out of their story over and over and over. And they're being moved into my story, who are being built up and established constantly in their faith. So that we're looking at one another and saying, this is... What you're, what you're talking to me about is, here's what, here's, here's the conversations I would love to have. Where we were sitting across from one another because we gather every Sunday and many of us gather on Wednesday and the dialogues are going so much so at this, you know what? I'm feeling God calling me to do X, Y, or Z, whatever that is that you're feeling. And you're looking at you going, that's foolish. And that's awesome. You know? That we're literally having this dialogue because wouldn't this be church if Jesus were among us? I mean, there would be stories and thoughts and hopes and sharing and it would be moving across the body because the body is made up of this, this unbelievable move of believers who have faith that move mountains, who have tasted the goodness of God, who are believing they're established in Him, who are passionate for the name of God, who are continuously being renewed in their faith. And in that continuous renewal are sitting around going, listen to what God's telling me next. I'm just praying for a whole slew of people who are gathering together saying, God, we want, this isn't a Bible study. We want to be built up in this. We want to be established in this. We want to be convicted by this. We, we, God, we, we want to be passion filled for this and it's foolishness. And I, I don't know. I think I, I just, I was just writing some thoughts. I think that, I think that it's been kind of pounded out of us from what we do. And I'm praying Joy Beth and, and, and Leanne don't do this to our children when we just, we, we start them off in life saying, sit still, don't think, don't move. I, I love this one. Be good. You know, I want to look at our kids and say, be passionate. And I want people sitting in front of them who are, who are wide-eyed as they are saying, and, and by the way, when you're 40, I hope your eyes are gleaming like me. And I want you to be passionate. I want you to be filled with love. I want you to be united. And we instead, be good, be still, be quiet. I remember at our, um, I started at Emmanuel in, in 1997 as a pastor of their church. They had, they had done a great job of growing from 200 people down to 40. And they looked and said, you know what? If we don't do something different, we're just going to die together. 
And so they just kind of did something different. They got a 30-year-old pastor who had a lot of passion and very little knowledge and just believed big things about God. And I remember the first Wednesday we were in there and they started this whole gig just before I came where they were picking up the kids from all over the city and they were bringing them in and they were leading them to know the Lord. And it was awesome. And we were sitting in prayer meeting and, and um, we were, I was literally sitting with, I, I went from a room filled with 400 students the week before on a Wednesday night saying goodbye, Ryan, to you. And I, I went from that room and I went to seven people and, and they closed off these two thirds and sat right here. And there were seven of us in the room. We were having a prayer meeting. It was, it was awful. And so I was sitting there going, I was, I walked backwards and I sat on the step for a little while and said, God, what have I done? And then, and then we just started prayer meeting and, and, and the kids that they were driving in started running down the hallways and one of the, one of our precious senior saints said, that's horrible. The noise of this place. And we're in, we're in prayer meeting and it wasn't hard to call timeout. There was only seven. And so, but I just said, time out. And I won't name her because she's literally one of my favorite people on this planet who's in heaven now and was one of the biggest faith builders in this church. But she's missing on that moment. I said, look, here's what we're shooting for, that it will be so loud here that you and I won't be able to pray without shouting. And it was like an awakening for her in that moment to stop and say, wait a second, I've made this all about me and I've made this all about comfort. And what we really want is we want kids because we were in the middle. We had like the church and then there was hallways internally and then there was all the kids wings. And we were like, we really do want them running these halls. We really do want them recklessly shouting the name of God. We really do want them singing songs as they go down. And if it causes us to raise our voice a little bit, that will be awesome. But I just remember, be quiet. No, no, please be loud for the sake of God, kids. Please mess up our place, children. Please scar the walls. Please run rampant through here because we're praying that you will ultimately run through here and run to the nations for the sake of the gospel. So please, 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 please don't tell us to be quiet. I had when I was a young pastor, by the way, and this wasn't at that church because that church was crazy and passionate. I mean, I just could tell story after story of how the kingdom of Christ was advanced on five continents through the church I had the privilege of sharing life with for 13 years. The church before that, one of the deacons said to me, I was 29 years old, I was preaching, and he looked at me, and I love what he said. He said, look, you'll calm down one day. So it's been 18 years. It's not happening. You know why? Because I hung up with my dad this past last Thursday night, and my dad's 73 years old. I thought he was going to move down here in a year. Rick just asked me, what's going on with your dad? I was like, he's not coming. He's going to die in Indiana. And they're watching right now. I love you, dad. And they actually probably are watching in the mountains of North Carolina right now. I hung up the phone with him. We're so excited for them to come down here and so excited for them to retire here. And dad's like, God is moving mountains in Indiana. We are planting churches. We are changing the world. We're partnering with Brazil and the last unreached people groups. We're blah, blah, blah. I hung up the phone and I said, Susan, we're going to visit with them, but they're going to advance the kingdom until he steps into it. So I hope that I don't calm down and I hope that 73, you're looking at me going, he's not tame yet. And that's what we need going on here is divergent thinking, passionate followers, people who are sitting and saying, no, no, we're not going to calm down because the chief end of man is to glorify God and to joy him forever. And we will glorify him when our greatest satisfaction is in him. 
And we will move and live and be for that sake in that kingdom when we're saying, God, you are, you are moving. And I think the faith of a child, this, I mean, the faith is foolishness. Some of you have, have read scripture and said, you know, don't call a person a fool. And I'm not calling you Raka. I'm just going with more Paul's version. I want to be a fool for the sake of Christ. I want, I want to be a fool for the kingdom of God. And it's, hey, listen, listen, in case you wonder what fills the pages of scripture, it is crazy. It is not a sit down, be quiet, be still faith that goes and walks around as an initiative for God. A a place called Jericho seven times. And on the seventh day, they say, here's the strategy. It is a stronghold in there. You can't overcome it. So get your get your trumpeteers to lead the way. Now, if they play like Chris Bouton and Jeff DeVore, I think that's a good plan. Jeff was throwing down today. And I was like, that's the plan, you know? That's awesome. When he goes Kenny G with the soprano sax, I'm just worshiping, man. That's so, and, I mean, that's the plan. Send the musicians first. All the musicians in the room are going, I, doesn't, I mean, not the warriors. And here's what I want you to do. Circle seven times. And, and, and here's what God's going to do. The walls are going to fall. See, if you, if we said that right now, most of us are not divergent. We would go amen and go start the Zaxby's. Because the problem with us as opposed to them is that they did it for seven days. They went and walked one time. Seventh day they walked seven. The wall fell and God was glorified. I mean, it's, it's, listen, it's crazy for a 90 year old to go buy maternity clothes. Wrestle with that in scripture for a little while. Put that in perspective. This isn't a Bible story anymore. This is the Lord creating laughter in Sarah's heart. Not necessarily spiritual laughter. But but here's what Sarah just said. Look, God, after I'm laughing, you can do this. And as I'm buying maternity clothes, you can do this. And as I have this beautiful little baby, I will see you. And I will look at the sky. And I will see the stars. And I will see the generations that will be impacted by the foolishness that you are doing on this planet right now. God was satisfying and he was glorified through them. Next time you're out on the boat 40 miles out with Ron Carr and the waves hit 25 feet and you believe you're going to die and Jesus walks out there, step out of the boat. It's a story until you start to think that's what Peter did. He walked on water. When you're a teenage girl, I love this story. And you're sitting and you have preserved yourself for your husband. And you have honored God with your body. And you have glorified him with your name. And an angel comes to you and says, you're going to have the king of glory. And you look and say, that can't happen. And the angel says, it can, because nothing is impossible with God. And your immediate response is, well, praise the Lord. So be it. I will glorify him. And I read the book of John this week. As she wrote the Magnificat about three verses later of a heart that was absolutely worshipped. And it was foolishness. And God gained great glory. And yea, if we don't come like a child to believe great things from God, we'll never see that. And the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And to say, Lord, we want to be rooted in you. We want to be established in you. We want to be passionate for you. I, I love these verses, and I, I don't want you to miss this, because I don't want this to be like a little motivational moment. What can we do? Now, I want you to climb in your cart and believe that God will carry you to these things. 
I want you to climb in your card and understand that that is the God whose energy works through you. And I want you to know why. Because he has established you according to Colossians 2, 6, and 7. He has established you in him. To answer what it means to be established is to simply read these verses and to read them and to say, look, this is what he has done. God made you alive together with Christ. That's kind of the theme of this whole little gig going on right now. God made you alive together with Christ. For seven weeks, we're talking about freedom. And just if we said just that fraction is all we're going to talk about for seven weeks, God made you alive together with Christ. Somehow, in the spiritual realm that I don't fully understand, when he was dead, buried, and resurrected, just just like right now, I'm currently seated in heaven and right here, currently at that moment when he was resurrecting, I I was made alive also. Okay, that's freaking me out. Because before the foundation of the world, he knew me. And he ordained my days. And he draws me into his plan. And I am made alive together with Christ. But it's just, that was it. That would be enough. But here's, here's the beautiful part in Colossians 1.13. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. And that stood opposed to us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. Praise you, Lord. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. This is where I once again, like God, a little bit of, a little bit of flair going on here. He made a public spectacle of them. We'll dig into these verses in a few weeks. Triumphing over them through the cross. If you're wondering how you're established, read those verses about 50 times this week and memorize them and let them saturate your heart. And he says, so you are established in Christ. Therefore, Colossians 2, 6 says, continue, never cease to continue to live in the faith. If you could pull that Greek derivative out, it would say, as you are saved, you keep being saved and saved and saved and saved and saved and saved and saved as long as you walk this planet and one day you'll step off this planet and you will spend eternity celebrating that you have been saved and you are saved and you are saved and you are saved. You are once and forever declared righteous and established in Him, and then you are being rooted over and over and over and over in Christ, and the roots go deep. So that's just the beauty of what He's challenging us to, is just to say, so I want you to continuously live in Him, rooted and established and built up in Him, just understanding who you are. So this is a little interactive moment, and I want to maybe close with this moment, but you've got to interact with me a little bit because I want to learn. And so when we meet people, it's so interesting to me to think about this idea of being rooted and what it means to be rooted in Christ. I say that word so weird. How do you say, how do you say rooted? Rooted. Rooted. I got to get more Southern with this. Rooted. Rooted. Being rooted in Christ and built up in Him. So when you meet somebody, uh, you know, I walk up and I meet Mark Powell and I say, you know, hi, Mark Powell. What is the next thing you say to someone right after that? Like, your first time you're meeting them, not you don't know the beloved from anybody. What what is the first thing you say to someone? And there's not a right answer. You are so friendly, nice to meet you. So how do you learn about them? What's the first question you ask? How are you? Where do you live? What do you do? I had the weirdest one, and, and you can keep sharing with me if you want, because I want to learn better questions to ask people when I meet them. Um, so what do you do? Where do you live? How are you? That's the friendly, sweet people in the room. Um, bless you, you know. 
Uh, the, the weirdest one for me was at college. This, this was the strangest one. At the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, they won yesterday. And um, at, at the University of Alabama, they would, they would ask, hey, what's your name? And then they would say, what are you? I don't know if that happens at other college. It was a weird question, but I knew what it meant. Rick, Mick, you know what that meant. It meant what, what fraternity or sorority do you belong to? So what are you? What Greek letters do you hold? I was like, I don't have any. I mean, it's not a big deal. I just didn't have any. I, I was real involved. I haven't seen Scott and Sandy. I was real involved with Campus Crusade. It was so awesome strategically placing people in fraternities and sororities for the sake of Christ and having that dialogue again this week with Bob Bumgarner. Like, that's happening on Florida State's campus. It's awesome. It needs to happen at Florida State. So who are you? What do you do? I, I think we ask those questions, and aren't we, like, aren't we already... Aren't we already kind of establishing that before we ever meet them? We're, we're, I know that's true here. I know you care about what my hair looks like right now. I know you care about what I wear because you share that with me. Um, I, I know. I, I know that you are establishing. You're establishing parameters with people the minute you see them. The minute you look at them, you're already deciding what you think about them based on what they have on, what they drive. You've already, if you've seen them in their car, you're, before you say, this is what I always ask, so, so what do you do? Isn't that the interesting way we define people today? So what do you do? That's the most common question I think I ask when you meet somebody. What do you do? We need more friendly people asking, like, how are you? How's it going? What's up? So, but we've got a lot. What do you do? And at that moment, we're starting to say, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm in a minivan. I've got a thousand children back there. It is terribly dirty. And, uh, man, I've changed diapers for 18 years. That's what I do, you know? I mean, I just, this is who I am. Can we talk more? And that's, I mean, that's, what do you, I mean, that, that's the question. I think, I think it could be a flip. This is, this is what could happen in church. This could be exciting. This is where it could get super weird. And I'm encouraging you to be weird. I'm just encouraging you to think this way. Think this way. You know, how are you? I'm introducing myself. What defines me? What roots my life? What is it that is really about me? I just wrote some things that, that really I want to be about. I want to know this, that I am loved by God. That's who I am. And if you're wondering what builds me up, this is what builds me up and builds into my life. That I am loved by God. That I was chosen by God. Praise the Lord for that. That He set me apart before the foundation of the world. I've already said this, but this is Ephesians 1. He knew me. So as I'm walking here in 2013, before the world was ever founded, God knew that I would walk this planet this day and He knew I would do that here in Jacksonville. And that's what's so sovereign about Him. I was formed in my mother's womb. He knit me together there. I'm not a surprise on this planet to him or to anyone else. As the scripture says, every single day that I walk about on this planet, that day was ordained by God. This day for you was ordained by God. This day for you was ordained by God. This day for you, I'm going to be a broken record for a moment, was ordained by God. Ordained means it was set apart for His glory and His name to be made manifest through you. And those who love Him, enjoy Him, and favor Him, reflect Him. And I, I just, I'm rooted right here that God, you set this day apart. And in setting this day apart and ordaining that, I am blessed in the heavenly realms and on this earth with every spiritual blessing. I am holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. Hello, my name is. 
This is who I am. This is what builds me up. I am fully forgiven. I am predestined according to scripture, but to be adopted by God, by his grace, for his glory. I am, I am completely his. I am rich in grace. Filthy rich. I have five children and I'm not rich in much else, but I am rich in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I am blessing God for that. I am adopted by him so that people around me will praise him and his glorious grace. This is what builds me up. He keeps lavishing more grace on me every single day that I wake up. I get more grace and more grace and more grace. And that is his goodness. I am loved by God. Here's a good one for you as you just kind of introduce yourself to people. I am totally and complete in him. I don't need anything else. And that's the problem today is that you are being evaluated by what you have on when you meet people, by what shoes you have on, by whether you do or don't have on socks, by what car you are driving. And here's the sad part. Many of us have bought in and we're trying impression management, which is all we're going to talk about next week. We're trying to impress people. We're even pulling up saying, look at me. Here's the point of life. Look at him. Be about him. Find all glory in him. And unfortunately, people will define you. But look, it's foolishness in this earth. So if we're going to be defined, let's be defined as a people who are foolish for the sake of Christ, who are foolish for the name of Christ, and who believe foolish things for the sake of Christ. Because I am totally complete in Him. I am free in Him. I am full in Him. I am covered by Him. These clothes that you keep seeing me wear, they're really not mine. I am robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I think in that robe, he gave me a tie. I mean, it's I am robed in him. And look, I want you to not miss that in my little silly joke. I want you to know that you were robed in Jesus Christ, that you were clothed in him, that when you came to know him, he took off the old and he put on the new. And the new is his covering and his grace and his fullness. So be built up there. That's where we're being built up, and I, I just could keep coming on, so I will. So we are just, we are set apart by God. And yea, though you see me right now in this moment, I am seated in heaven. I've already said that earlier, but you should probably wrestle with that. Even though you're sitting in right now and your stomach is rumbling a little bit, you are seated in heaven with Christ. If you're in Christ, I am sealed. And here's why I know that. I am sealed biblically by the Spirit of God. I am marked by him for the sake of his glory. I am free from condemnation. So you may judge me as you see fit on this earth, but I am free from condemnation. I am free for the fullness of who God says I am. I am purpose in this day. I am covered in the grace of Jesus Christ. Every day that I walk this planet is ordained by God. And so next time you meet somebody, just start there. Hi, my name is, let me just tell you. You want to know what I do? Well, I've got to pull out my iPad for that because it's. This is what builds me up. And this is what defines me. And here's just reality of Colossians 2 6 and 7. If the church doesn't get that, he doesn't gain glory. Because what Paul was saying is if you're going to try to define. Look, here's what you should know. Students can really get this out the gate. If you want to make sense in this world, you won't make sense for the kingdom. And if you want to fit in here, and golly, why would I pick on students? Hey, if you want them to learn how to not make sense in the world, maybe they should be able to look at us. Maybe they should look at us and say, look, what, what you seem to be about doesn't fit any. I'm 47 years old. 
I want the kids to look and say to me, I don't see many other 47-year-olds chasing the things you're chasing. I, I just, I want to be about that. I want to be built up in that. I want to be lavished in the grace of Jesus Christ. And when I introduce myself to people, I'm not introducing myself to something that is an image management impressionistic deal. I just want them, if they can, to see Jesus. And that should be our prayer as well. I've learned about how this works in context of biblical community. And I, I think the scripture says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, you should be established in Christ. You should be built up in Him. You should live in Him. And that's where the joy is found. I was thinking about that. And I, I am with this little, it's not a little story, it's a true story. I actually um, learned this story about 12 years ago when my mom and dad went out to the Pacific Northwest. And uh, they visited the Redwood Forest. And I actually listened to, you can Google this because I can promise you, I sat in and listened to a pastor preach the opposite of this. And I was like, that's not at all true. And so what you do to me, I did to a pastor. I Googled it and went, yeah, he's wrong, but I'll tell him afterwards. And so um, it's, it's powerful. It's such a powerful thing. I grew up, I, mean, I didn't grow up. I lived 20 years almost in that, well, more than that. I lived 24 years in the panhandle. And we had, we just got whacked the whole time I was there. It was one storm after another after another. And, uh, man, we had so much chance for ministry in that church just to love on people and cut down more pine trees than you could shake a stick at. And, and one of the things I learned is that pine trees um, don't do well in tornadoes. There's lots of them that go down. And, uh, and so my dad is out, and he's, my dad uh, partnered with the Florida Baptist Convention for years and led the disaster release efforts, and I think he was thrilled to hand that off but be integral in it from days, for many years. And, uh, and he was out there at the Redwoods, and he was looking up at these trees. You know the Redwoods, right? Um, if you don't, just feel free to look them up right now. I mean, you literally can drive through a Redwood on a two-lane road. They're that big. It's, it's powerful. So how, how do we have joy in, in this life? How do we joyfully live together when the winds blow, when life is incredibly hard and intense? How do we as a church do this gig? We, we, can, we can learn from the Redwoods. Dad's sitting out there, and he's having this conversation. He's got a park ranger with him, and he's having this dialogue. They've already driven through the tree. They're standing and looking at these towering trees, hundreds of feet tall. You know, diameters are 8, 10, 12, 14 feet. And he's just going, this is amazing. And he says, look, I do disaster relief. It has to be prolific how much they reach down into the earth. His answer was powerful for the church. He said, absolutely not. Here's what you should understand about redwoods. They are towering giants above, but their root system runs down in a very shallow manner, and then it moves outward. And here's what's beautiful about redwoods. Their, their root system grabs a hold of the other trees so that when the tornado alleys, when the tornadoes blow through here, they sway in the middle of it, and you will see them rock back and forth. But under the ground, their arms, if you will, with the church, underground, their roots literally hold one another up. And in the middle of the most potent storm, you won't see a redwood fall. We are here as people with multitudes of gifts to prepare God's people for works of service. You want to know why? So that the body of Christ might be built up 
until, here, 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 until we all reach unity in the faith, until we all understand and have knowledge of the Son of God, and until we all become mature, attaining the wholeness of the full measure of Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 4. That's God's passion for this church. The joy comes when we understand who builds us, how we hold one another up, and in the greatest of storms, and they will blow through here, the roots of this church hold together in and through Him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the Son of God and the King of glory. Let the King of glory come in. You are the holy and righteous one. May the King of glory come in. We praise you, Father, for we don't have to search around for identity. We are full and complete in you. I pray that this church will be rooted and built up in that truth, that we are whole and complete in you.